Hello, and welcome back to the New River Church Podcast. Today we're going to be starting a new series on the book of Luke called Jesus, the Inviting Messiah. We look forward to getting to know the gospel better together with you, and we hope that today's message encourages you and blesses you. For more information, check out newriverchurch.org. Hello, good morning. We're going to be in uh, Luke 19, so if you want to head over there, I'll join you or we'll get there together uh, in a couple of minutes. I wanted to share a story about what happened with to author Robert Fulgham. He was sitting in his office one day, he was looking out his window, and he saw a bunch of kids playing hide-and-go-seek. And he watched one boy, there's always that one boy, <laughs> find a bunch of leaves, a pile of leaves, and grinning that he found the most amazing location he hid inside. And then what happens is, you know the game, right? You get it. I don't know who came up with that. It is the person who's supposed to find those who are hiding. So it is running around and he found everyone except the boy in the leaves. And eventually the kids are all laughing and they found each other and, there, and they all leave. And they completely forget about the kid in the bunch of leaves. So Fulgon says, yeah, I wondered if I should intervene or tell them where he's hiding or set the leaves on fire to smoke them out. Or like, and finally he was like, he just yelled, get found, kid. And then the kid gets out and he's all scared and he runs away crying. And Fulgon says, this is a picture of our constant predicament. We are good at hiding, desperately needing to be found and confused at being found at the same time. We hide to protect ourselves because we're afraid if we're really known, we will never be loved. And we've been hiding. We've been playing hide and go seek since Genesis 3. Uh, from the beginning of time, that's been the game we've been playing. And uh, the story of God and the human race is one of hide and seek. We are good at hiding. We're desperately needing to be sought and we're confused about being found, but we know the biggest it in history. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he finds us. He is, we are good at hiding, but he's better at finding us than we are good at hiding. And so we're gonna see that in the Gospel of Luke this morning. We've been studying the hospitality of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is the inviting Messiah who invites us to his table, and that's anyone. But the people that Jesus has around his table are not the people we expect. Last week, we saw a guy showing up in a house, crashing through the roof to be around Jesus, and then Jesus says, yes, you belong with me. He welcomes him. And today, we're gonna see Jesus invites another unlikely guest, a tax collector. And Luke loves talking about tax collectors. Six times in the Gospel of Luke, he mentions tax collectors. In fact, Jesus' ministry in the beginning starts off with a tax collector named Matthew who throws a party for Jesus and then his tax collector buddies, Luke 5. Now towards the end of his ministry, we're going to find another tax collector 
that hangs out with Jesus. He's playing hide and go seek. And Jesus is going to find him. He's the seeker and savior of the best hiders in the world. And so Jesus invites the lost. That's the title of the message. Let's get to Luke 19. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, first 10 verses of Luke, the 19th chapter. It reads like this. Jesus, he entered Jericho, was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's holy word. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to see a desperate seeker, a determined savior, and then lastly, a decisive salvation. A desperate seeker, a far more determined savior, and lastly, a decisive salvation. Let's look at verses One to four, a desperate seeker in Zacchaeus. In verse one, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, but it's passing through Jericho. This is about 18 miles northwest. And pretty soon, in about 10 days or so, he's going to be crucified. Jericho is a very, very wealthy and important town. World famous balsam groves perfume the air. It was a busy, busy, high-traffic trade route. And it's almost Passover. And that means the Jewish pilgrims, there are a lot of Jewish pilgrims traveling to Jerusalem. So not only did you smell the beautiful rose gardens in Jericho, the Romans also smelled revenue as well. They would exploit the area by placing heavy taxes on the Jews to finance their world empire. So look what happens in verse two. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So we meet Zacchaeus. Uh, That's a Jewish name. It means a righteous one, though there is nothing righteous about him at this point. We are told he is a tax collector. That means he collected taxes for Rome. And so Rome charged a certain amount. And as long as you provided that certain amount, Whatever else you wanted to tax, that was up to you. Can you say a perfectly great formula for corruption? So you got the regular taxes, you got the tolls, you got the income tax, but then you could tax anything and anyone imaginable from the number of wheels on your cart to the animals you are bringing or products in your bag I mean, none of us can relate to this. 
right? Like, I'm sure. Like, you know, let's let's come up with a hypothetical situation. I'm just making this up. Like, like imagine having to tax your car yearly after you paid sales tax on it, right? Bizarre. I'm just making that up. You know, that's not. All right. So tax collectors are filthy rich and likewise hated. You you might be like, you mean those annoying IRS agents? No, no, no. Hatred. So think Nazi collaborators in occupied France in World War II. Tax collectors were seen as God's enemies. Right. Rome is oppressing Israel, so Rome is the enemy. And if you collaborate with Rome, that makes you an enemy. And not just an enemy of Israel, an enemy of God. And rabbis even taught, if you associate with a tax collector, it's the same as visiting a prostitute. Unclean. And they even had their own category in Jewish minds. Like even in Luke, he says, Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> in other words, you got the sinner, the run-of-the-mill, regular sinner, but if you went one level up, you got the tax collector. Right? Something worse than a sinner is a tax collector. But our boy, Zacchaeus, is not just the tax collector. He's the chief tax collector, meaning he supervises the other tax collectors. Luke says, obviously, then he was rich. Zacchaeus is at the top of the pyramid, top of the pile, Everybody's extorting for him. And on this day, Zacchaeus is among the crowd as usual. The squeeze of the multitude is just making him claustrophobic. So he notices there's an unusual anticipation in the air and excitement because Jesus of Nazareth was coming. Some people in the crowd are like, I heard he's the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And Zacchaeus is like, I think I also heard the story of a rabbi named Jesus hanging out with a buddy of mine named Matthew and having a party. And maybe some of the people in the party were the people that used to ex- is extorting for Zacchaeus. We don't know. Whatever the reason, look at verse 3. Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he wants to get close to Jesus, but not too close. And he has another problem. He's really, really Short, probably less than five feet tall, according to the, tr- the time. He was a wee little man. As the song goes, can you, can you imagine, right? Jesus Christ comes to your house. Your life is transformed. You give away half your money. You make amends. He blesses you only to be immortalized in all of history in the catchiest songs ever. <laughs> Zacchaeus, the wee little man. <laughs> Poor guy, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> All right. He is so short, he cannot see above the crowd. So this is where my mind goes, okay? And I keep picturing a younger Danny DeVito. <laughs> In taxi days, you know. I'm just not modern enough for somebody. <laughs> but that's where my mind goes with the little swagger and the shifty eyes, the perfect little big man. Right? Now, I'm not sure. Does Zacchaeus have a Napoleon syndrome? You know what that is? The short man always trying to compensate for his height by being tall in other areas. It's kind of ironic, right? A short man like him is a chief tax collector. Now, perhaps... 
Our brother is as tired of all the jokes growing up in a tall world. Zacchaeus finally decided he's going to climb the professional ladder. He's going to step on others who stood in his way. And instead of being stepped on all the time, he's, gonna, he's finally going to make it. He's made it. He's the chief tax collector, the king of the hill, looking over the people in Jericho, the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel, as one commentator put it. Now, if you are stuck in a crowd and you are really short and you cannot see, you know, most people, they'll be like, oh, poor, poor, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead in front of me, right? But notice nobody's doing that here, right? Because they hated him. They're like, oh, we don't see anybody. Oh, is that my elbow in your face? Oh, I don't know. They hated him. He was canceled a long time ago. He's been blocked on everyone's social media already. The crowd enjoyed boxing the little man out. And we're not going to be moving for you, you disgusting filth. That's how they saw him. Look what happens in verse 4. So he ran on ahead, climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So here he comes. He climbs out of his jaguar. And like a little boy following a parade, he runs ahead of the crowd, climbs up onto the sycamore tree. All he wants is to look at Jesus passing by. He wants to put a face to the name, just a glance. Here's the sycamore tree. Probably about 40 feet high, something like an oak with short trunks and wide branches, easy to climb. You just picture him shinning up this tree in his Armani tunic, right? I actually found a picture of Zacchaeus doing that. (laughs) The internet has everything. This is not even AI. This is an actual picture. The only time in my life I will look up Danny DeVito and tree in a Google search. (laughs) So there he is, wealthy on top of the hill, in a tree alone, wanting to see Jesus, but doesn't think Jesus would want to see him. All right, a couple of quick lessons here about the desperate seeker in Zacchaeus. First of all, idols always fail us. Zacchaeus' idol, see, the idol is the thing that is more important than God in your life, the thing that you look to to give you something only God can give you. It's not really money for Zacchaeus. You're like, oh, yeah, no, that's a surface idol. Where your money goes effortlessly, that's where your idols are. It's what money gives you that you elevate more than God or whatever idol it is. And it seems to me that for Zacchaeus, money gave him security and a sense of significance. I am a chief tax collector, but for him to lose all dignity and climb a tree to see Jesus, it just shows, man, the idol that money gave him, it's just bankrupting him spiritually. He's like, it's just, he got to the top of the hill, and now what? So so idols fail. Secondly, Christ came for the poor and the rich. Uh, Unfortunately, these chapter numbers and uh, verse numbers are not inspired, and Luke did not originally have chapter 19. He didn't write that, okay? Um, That was added many, many, many years later. So we kind of lose the context. But right before Zacchaeus, notice in verse 35 in Luke 18, there is a blind beggar. They're not going to read it, but they are 
there's something about the two. He puts, Luke intentionally puts this poor blind beggar next to a rich tax collector as he's writing his gospel here. Well, both want to see Jesus. One is physically blind, both are spiritually blind. One's on the side of the road, the other one's in a tree. He passes by both and stops at both. One is down and out. The other is up and in financially, though up and out spiritually and socially. Both had a crowd in the way. Jesus came for and can save. That's the point. Jesus has come for and can save both the poor, the rich, and everyone in between is what is the point of the text. See, when we think of the marginalized, I'm sure we're not, we're not picturing a chief tax collector. And for good reason, right? Because we get it. Like, I get the homeless addict in the alley. He needs Jesus. She needs Jesus, whatever. But the CEO getting a $10 million bonus, we hate that guy. And we say it proudly too. But look at Jesus. He looks at Zacchaeus and he doesn't see an intolerably privileged person needing to change his behavior for God's sake. He sees a human being who's relationally and spiritually impoverished, right? Whether poor, whether rich, Jesus has come for both. Give us your eyes, Jesus, to see people as you see them. Thirdly, I think this, his desperation teaches us to get over the crowd. For some of us, maybe you're seeking Christ. You're like, I want to know what this relationship with Christ is like. But maybe the crowd, the self-righteous, moralistic, judgmental Christians have left a bad taste in your mouth. And you're like, I like Christ, but I don't like these Christians. Right? But if you are here today, find a way to look at Jesus apart from the Christians. Would you climb over them? climbed over us we, who represent Christ poorly and consider Jesus for yourself. Just look at Jesus and study Jesus for yourself because Christ in this story is going to show you that if you seek Christ, Christ also seeks you. And maybe he's been seeking you before you ever even thought of seeking him. One more quick lesson here is we need to experience Christ firsthand, not secondhand. I find sometimes in my spiritual stature, I always need something else to stand on to see Jesus. I need a pastor. I need a book. I need a reel. I need a podcast. I need a YouTube sermon, et cetera, et cetera. Some of us, we want to stand on our parents' faith. You have no personal desire, but you only think about spiritual things when you're in life group, youth group, Sunday service, your parents, your friends. They bring up issues of faith and you're like, I like that. But that's like Zacchaeus in the tree, secondhand. I don't want any personal contact. I'm just, I want to take a glimpse. In other words, we are relying on secondhand experiences. And so with this, this morning, would you pray, Lord, I, I want to see you with my own eyes. I want to hear you with my own ears. And I want to feel you with my own heart. First hand, not second hand. All right. Secondly, we have a desperate seeker. We have a more determined savior. Look at verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. 
As Jesus is walking, suddenly he parts the sea of spectators and makes a beeline for this tree. And here Zacchaeus is getting a little antsy. Like, what's he doing? Is he, is he taking a breather? Here, all eyes are on Jesus as he's walking towards this tree. And then, past the crowd, past the tree, past the branches, past the leaves, Jesus looks up. Hide and seek is over. <laughs> oh, well, what did we learn from this? What did we learn is a determined Jesus meets you where you are. Right, did you see the phrase? Jesus came to the place. I, I love that. It's though the X on the treasure map of his journey was that tree. He was waiting to get to that spot. He is in total control here. He's not just walking through Jericho. There are no coincidences. He orchestrates this whole divine meeting. Zacchaeus thought he was looking for Jesus, but guess what? Jesus was looking for him all along. He knew he was up there. He knew which tree. He knew about that tree long before it was even planted. And he knew when that tree was planted, that's the place where I'm going to meet Zacchaeus. There is no place we can hide from Jesus. He meets you where you are. And loved ones, today, I, if you're feeling like, man, I've gotten lost along the way. I ventured in the dark and climbed the branches and I don't even know how I got here. You don't even know how you ended up hiding in the tree. Maybe you were climbing to get somewhere in life or maybe to meet somebody finally and now you're stuck. You don't know how to get down. And wherever you're at this morning, Christ stops and he sees you this morning. He is committed to seeking out the least, the lost, the last, the left out. He meets you where you are. Interestingly, in the NIV translation, the sycamore tree is translated as the sycamore fig tree. And I thought that was curious, and I'm not sure, I didn't see anybody, any other commentators confirming this. But I was wondering, there was an illusion here. Let's see. A fig tree and someone hiding in a tree behind leaves, and a God looking for them. I don't know, but I can tell you this, though. This is the same God in Genesis 3. Where are you, Adam? That wasn't because he was like, where are you? No, it's for Adam, where are you? Adam, do you know where you are? Zacchaeus, I see you too. I'm not a policeman looking for a criminal. I'm a father looking for a lost child. Amen. I'm not here to drive you out of hiding. I'm here to draw you out of hiding. The determined Jesus meets you where you are, but listen, he also sees you as you are. The text says Jesus looked up. Think about that. Just imagine that for a second. How ridiculous Zacchaeus must have looked. Right, Jesus looks up and there is Danny DeVito right there <laughs> staring back at him. A grown, wealthy CEO man in his tunic sitting on a tree like a kid. It's very undignified. Huh, bro, how did you end up like, what, what are you? What are you? <laughs> and if I was Jesus, I would have been, been like face palm. 
SMH, right? Shake my head. Do you feel like Jesus is like that towards you sometimes? That, that he loves you, but he doesn't really like you. That he's like obligated to love you, so he's got to be like, okay, I guess I got to. I don't, I don't really, he's annoying. I don't like him. Like, is that how you picture Jesus? Let me tell you. I, I, sometimes I feel, I'm with you. I feel this mix, right? Of feeling like I'm not good enough and I'm too much at the same time. Uh, we used to, uh, our kids used to say, like, you're so extra. They don't say that anymore, right? Remember that uh, a couple of years ago? You're, don't be so extra. You're just too much. You're so extra. And I feel like that I'm inadequate and this sense of, like, I'm too much. And I'm so thankful the real Jesus does not shake his head and is not ashamed and that he looks at me and he says, you are never too much for me and I am always more than enough for you. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad this morning? Amen. Jesus peers into Zacchaeus' soul. Yeah, he knows all about the money, all about the extortion, legitimate money, illegitimate money, but Jesus' eyes only see the part of him that's been stepped on. Every footprint, every heel mark, and his heart moves with compassion towards this lonely man. And he says, Zacchaeus, notice not, Hey, thief, extortioner, thug, little Napoleon, crime king, Zacchaeus, you probably got stolen money in your robe right now, don't you? From people that didn't belong to you, you scumbag. Does not. Neither does he define him by his worldly titles either. He doesn't say, hey, chief. Hey, boss, Mr. Zacchaeus, CEO. Just Zacchaeus, his human name. How freeing to be known and loved as a human. Susan Snyder, she's the wife of late comedian Robin Williams. In an article, she says that Williams' true love was to make people laugh. And he did. Oh, he was such a great comedian, that it caused so much anxiety for him constantly, trying to find worth in what he did. And she said that towards the end of his life, he he would just sob in her arms. And he would say, I'm not funny anymore. What am I I if I'm not funny anymore? And he told her often, he, he said, I am only as good as my last performance. See, that's the world we live in. We tend to make ourselves bigger, like a lion, lionize ourselves, chief tax collector, famous comedian. And if we fail and we get canceled, we tend to demonize ourselves, get smaller. Demonize. Jesus doesn't lionize you. He doesn't demonize you. He humanizes you humanizes you. He sees you as you are. And not only that, the determined Jesus doesn't just meets you where you are, he sees you as you are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. Right? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I got a dinner date with you. 
He commands him like a king and a friend. He doesn't say, I love you. Just stay there. Keep hiding. Keep trying to live this way. Build a treehouse. You know, be happy. Be comfortable. No, no, no. Calm down, Zacchaeus. The tree symbolizes all the effort, all the extorting, all the years of trying to climb over everybody to feel significant and make a name for himself. Jesus is calling him to honesty and humility. Calm down. I know your name. Ground level talk. I want to talk to the real guy. No props. Let me see you as you are and look at me in the eye. You don't need to find yourself. I found you. I'll define you. You don't need to be discovered because you are discovered when I found you. Takes him from the fringe, puts him front and center because see, Jesus, he doesn't want a safe distance secondhand thing with you. He does not want a detached discipleship. It's up close, personal, eye-to-eye relationship. And guess what? That is scary. That is scary. You already know my name. You knew where I was hiding. You looked up at the right branch that I was on. I mean, what else do you know? You could have wondered, right? And tax collectors, man, they're good at auditing and details. And I can just picture Zacchaeus going, come down and what? What are you going to do? You're going to start auditing my life before everyone right now? I can see Zacchaeus imagining coming down and Jesus is saying, all right, sit down right there in front of me. Jesus takes out this big ledger. Is Zacchaeus on it? Turns to the first page. Uh, Let's see. History of extortion. Page one. At age four, he stole a banana. And then... (laughs) I mean, I would have stayed in the tree. But that's not what Jesus says the reason to come down is. For, there's your purpose. I must stay at your house today. (laughs) He calls him to honesty because he wants to start a relationship. He's not going to start a relationship with a false person. He wants a relationship with the real Zacchaeus. Get out of the tree and let's get to my table. No accusations, no blame, no auditing. There are a lot of things that Jesus is going to have to work on. But Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to call you to myself first. I'm going to call you from the tree you're hiding in to the table I'm going to set for you. That's what what he's going to do. Notice it says, Jesus says, I must stay. He's not asking permission. (laughs) And I don't think Zacchaeus is running an Airbnb. (laughs) Like the must, Luke loves the word must. It's all throughout his gospel. Scholars call it the, the divine necessity of Christ. Your house, Zacchaeus, is the next top on my itinerary. And I had planned that way before time began. And if somebody came to your house in that culture, it's not just, oh, he's just having a meal. What's the big deal? No, no, it's... This is a sign of fellowship. God's having dinner with the enemy. It's a place of forgiveness if you had invited them. In that time of place, hospitality meant a lot. If somebody was invited to their home, uh, they were actually inviting you into their life. 
It's an invitation to real friendship. So this is huge. And Jesus says, I must stay. That word stay means overnight. That means, hey, I already packed my toothbrush and I brought my pillow. <laughs> In other words, I'm staying. I'm staying overnight and I'm going to uncancel you, my friend, and bring you into a new community. He says, uh, that you are going to be a son of Abraham. You belong there with my people. All right. Wow. The determined Jesus. One man search and rescue team meets us as we are, sees us as we are, doesn't leave us as we are, calls us into relationship. Tomorrow? No. Today, buddy. I want to stay at your house today. Because he's interested what? In where you are? Today. Come out of the tree. Today. Like, Hear his call today. Blessed are those who respond quickly to the call of Jesus. So lastly, a decisive salvation. Six to ten. <clears throat> so how do you know Jesus has come into your heart and life? How do you know that you know that you know? Yes, he's my savior. I'm his and he is mine. We sang it. How do we know it? Zacchaeus is going to give you clues. What a saved person looks like. Because Jesus actually says in verse 9, salvation has come, not will come, it has come to his house. Well, here's some signs of salvation. Ready? One, you have joy in knowing Christ. Look at verse 6. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Right? Wow. He responds like you would welcome a friend you've longed to see for a long, long time. And the, he is so fast with leaves and twigs flying. He's leaping down. He's welcoming Jesus joyfully, joyfully. Now that doesn't mean, it's a joy in knowing Christ. That doesn't mean you're always happy. It just, remain, it just means no matter what noise is going on around them, because the people are grumbling all around them, no matter what's going on around them, He's got Christ. He's got Christ. He keeps returning to Jesus as his joy. And you might be like, well, what about if I have a painful past? How am I going to have joy in knowing Christ? Well, one author says that your painful past is not the only true thing about you. The deepest and truest part of you is who you are in Christ. You have found life in Christ. Another found you and brought you to himself. That's the joy. That's where the joy is. Secondly, you will have grumblers in your life. That's a good way to know you've known Jesus Christ. Look what, look what happens at verse 7. Murmuring begins to move through the crowds. Right? They grumbled. That word grumbled in the Greek is similar to our word murmur. Right? Murmur is in the English language what we, they call an onomatopoeia. It's like a word that actually sounds like what it means, right? So, for example, say the word murmur over and over and over again. Ready? One, two, three, go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's, that's what it is. It sounds, like, it sounds like a bunch of bees, right? Just right. That's what he's hearing, right? He's going to go stay where? That sitter's house? I mean, th this is like the Pope, hanging out with Pablo Escobar. Right? Or the Pope like having spaghetti and meatballs with Tony Soprano. Outrageous! Right? So do you have people around you that they're go, you're, you're going to church again? 
Didn't you go last week? Why are you going again? You're all religious now, huh? Bible thumper. Is this a phase? Praise God if that happens. That means they noticed. They noticed something about you. They noticed some joy they never had before. They noticed, yeah, there is a spring in your step. There is a sparkle in your eye. Right? They noticed. They noticed. Yes, they're going to grumble. You may lose them. You may lose friends and family, Jesus says. The whispers in the crowd does not seem to bother Zacchaeus and definitely doesn't bother Jesus. May nothing stop you, loved ones, from your intimacy with Jesus. And what does it matter if they grumble because the God of the universe is coming to your house? Thirdly, how do you know? You know that you experience the order of grace. What do I mean by that? Notice what Jesus does not say. You want me to come to your house? Okay. Stop extorting. I'll be happy to come, up, come to your house. Clean up your life. Then I'll be your friend. And then I'll love you. That, that's not the order. No, 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 no. I am coming to your house. I am loving you first. And as a result, clean up your life. That's the order. That's the order. Uh, you know, I don't, my, if my daughter had said, hey, dad, if I clean, the, if I wash the dishes, can I be your daughter? And can you love me then? Wait, what? That's not the order. You are my daughter. I love you. So wash the dishes. <laughs> In other words, Jesus is not the Wizard of Oz. Right? Remember the Wizard of Oz? Bring me the broom of the wicked witch, and then I'll give you an audience. He doesn't do that. He's ready to go to the house before Zacchaeus even repented. I mean, look what happens here. You know, we always say, you got to invite Jesus into your life. That's true. Jesus should have, Zacchaeus should have invited Jesus into his life. But look what happens here. Jesus invited himself into his life. <laughs> Every other religion says, change, clean up, jump through that hoop, say those prayers. Then maybe God will accept you. That is not the gospel. The gospel is the opposite. Gospel says, God accepts you in Christ. So in light of that invitation, change. The change is the result of the love. It is not what merits the love. Right? So if you are a believer this morning, I hope you haven't mixed up the order. I hope you're not sitting here saying, if I change, if I change, I'm going to be good enough. And then when I'm good enough, he's going to love me. And then you miss the point. That, that is, you need to get caught up in his love for you. It is not, I will love you if you change. That is a religion. It is, I love you. And if you get caught in this love that never changes, it will love, it will change you. That's what changes you. That's the order. Lastly, the kindness of God, how do you know? It leads you to repentance. Verse 8 to 10. How do you know Zacchaeus has been touched by the love of Christ? His life is changed. It comes in action, not just words or emotions. And look at this guy. He's, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. All right. So he's making a stance. He's with his mouth making a profession. But profession is just profession without 
possession. How do you know your faith is a possession, not just a profession out of your mouth? Well, you look at your repentance. You look at your actions. And he says, look what he says. Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Wow. 50% of what I own, I'm going to give to the poor. And with the remaining 50% of what I own, I'm going to provide a restitution of 400% to anyone he has defrauded. Now think about that. How many people are we talking here? Hundreds? Thousands? I mean, the Old Testament law said, if you stole something from someone and you got caught, you were supposed to repay them and add 20%. He's going 400%. I mean, brother, I'm not sure if he's going to have anything left. Professional thief and extortionist, now instant philanthropist. How? Grabber and taker, a giver. Jesus doesn't even say, you got to do this, or the Old Testament says this, or no, for Zacchaeus, it's not I have to, it's I get to. He didn't need a sermon on generosity to be generous. He soaked in the generous grace of Jesus. Jesus is in my house. He's visiting me. He knows my name. And the one thing I chased for so long to feel like, feel important and significant, this pursuit of money did not do it. I, it did not give it to me. And so now I have found Jesus to be my treasure, greater than anything else. Zacchaeus wanted a glance, but look what happened. He got to Jesus to be a guest in his house. Jesus answered prayers better than he could have ever prayed. I want to show you one more thing in Luke 18, right? Go back to verse 24 in Luke 18. There's a, that's the story of the rich young ruler. <clears throat> and remember, maybe in life group, you can compare the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. But notice what happens at the end of the rich young ruler. He walks away. He had all these riches. He walks away. Verse 24, Jesus looked at him with sadness. He said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Exhibit A, Zacchaeus. Witness the miracle, loved ones. The camel has now walked through the eye of a needle. The impossible has become possible because Zacchaeus, the wealthy man, has come to faith in Christ. According to church tradition, Zacchaeus is not in the Bible, just tr tradition. He would later become a pastor in Caesarea. Interesting. Little did Zacchaeus know, after the day, Jesus stayed over. And about 10 days later, Jesus would end in Jerusalem. And Jesus would climb a tree too called the cross. And he will be treated as an idolatrous tax collector and outcast. See, to love Zacchaeus and to love you and to love me, Jesus Christ did not simply love at the cost of his reputation. He loved at the cost of his life. 
He didn't just bear the disdain of the crowd. He bore death from the crowd. They killed him. And I wonder if there was a day when Zacchaeus was remembering his testimony and he's like, man, I almost gave up everything, all of my treasure when I met Christ. He became my treasure. And then to stop and be like, wait a minute. In order for him to be my treasure, he, the treasure of heaven, bankrupted himself to make me his treasure. He gave up more than that. He gave up himself to make Zacchaeus his treasure. And maybe that's why he's like, I got to be a pastor and tell everybody about this great love. Jesus Christ died for my, all my idolatry. He gets canceled as an outcast so I can become his family. So today, Jesus says to you, I have prepared a place for you. I come to take you to myself. Where I am, you may be also. And Paul would say, yes, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Paul would say, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So you, by his poverty, might become rich. The cost of his life. Thanks for joining us again this week. We hope that this message truly blessed you. For more information, check us out at newriverchurch.org.